Good evening. Hey, welcome. Good to see all of you. God is good. Amen. Yeah. Hey, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 today. So. Will you pray with me before we get going? So, Father, <clears throat> we're so grateful to be able to be here together today in your word. We ask for your help today. We pray that your spirit would truly teach us today, that he would be the teacher, and that he would convict, that he would move, move us more towards you, Father. I pray that as we do this, it'd be a great benefit to our lives and the people around us, but Father, I pray we'd turn it and use it to glorify you. So be glorified today in our study as you are in heaven. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen. This chair is a little different. I'm just happy my feet touch, kind of. <laughs> hey, one of the reasons I really like Wednesday nights, I, I don't know why I'm over here, but that's where it goes. <laughs> I love Wednesday nights a lot because it's on Wednesday. It's very simple, huh? I love Wednesday nights because it's on Wednesday. Wednesday's about the day where my daily grind catches up to me and grinds me up a bit. It does. I get to the point where my attitudes and my perspectives, my motivation is gone. I just find my energy meter just going down to here. Am I talking to the right people? Is it just me or is Wednesday? I mean, you, it's, for a lot of us, it's midway, right? Yeah. I almost lose heart sometimes by Wednesday. I grow weary. Even if I'm doing well, I just, I almost lose heart. And then what happens is I come in here on Wednesday and it all changes, right? Because I'm with God's people and together we worship and praise and we give the God of the universe, the God who saved us, our Lord, that we hit our knee to, right? Amen. We give him his due together with open hearts. We encourage and fellowship each other, and we get into the word on Wednesdays, and man, with a little help from God's spirit, you find Jesus Christ between the pages, amen? And I start changing. I start to not lose heart, right? I get recharged and re-energized. That's why I like Wednesdays. And I think chapter four, I think Paul knew it was a Wednesday night because really this chapter, he bookmarks the first verse of this chapter says, we do not want you to lose heart. And then at the very end of the chapter, he says the same thing. We do not lose heart. And in between those two bookmarks, are some biblical principles that will keep you and I recharged so that we do not lose heart, right? There's three big movements. The first one that we'll see in verses one through six is that the light of the gospel, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the light of that shone out of the darkness of our very hearts, Dark. Light out of darkness. Now, that's not a small thing. That's salvation. 
That's everything, right? And we'll see there's a lot of encouragement in there. So this is a biblical principle. If you meditate on the fact that light came out of darkness, that's where the gospel came out of. It should charge you up. Second of all, starting in verse seven, we'll see there's a movement in there. He says that this treasure, the life of Jesus Christ himself resides in a plain container that he calls jars of clay. Crazy. And that's an amazing statement in itself. And if you want to be something to meditate on all day just to kind of get you going is deity resides in you. Right? It's amazing. We'll go through that. It'll be very encouraging. And I think at the end of that one, you, you probably won't be losing heart. And finally, he ends in the last movement in, in verse 13 to the end of this chapter. He encourages us that we can be renewed, okay, in our inner person, in our inner man, he calls it. It's our spirits. Although we may be beaten down physically and emotionally and even in our souls, in our spirit, it can be renewed by God's spirit day by day if we do one thing, and that's if we use our faith. So that's our encouraging middle books of the bookends of do not lose heart. Let's pick it up. Verse 1, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians. Therefore... Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. There's our first, first bookmark, right? He says, therefore, having this ministry, does, do you know what, what, would that, what ministry would that be? The therefore brings you back to last week, right? It's a new covenant. That's what we talked about. We're all ministers of the new covenant, right? This new arrangement that God has provided for us in Jesus Christ written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's a whole new deal. If you didn't catch last week, you should check it out online. Pastor James did a phenomenal job on it, but that's what he's talking about. Since we are ministers of the new covenant and we have the Holy Spirit who writes that in our hearts, we do not lose heart. Amen? We don't grow weary we're not fainting cowards, quite literally in the Greek. We don't do that anymore. He goes on, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In verse 3, and if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God, little g, of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we proclaim is not, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. And verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There it is, verse 6. That's 
how he doesn't want us to lose heart is that the light of the gospel said it shines directly out of the darkness of our lives, out of our hearts, our dark hearts. He says, just like creation. That's how it worked. That's his analogy. Remember creation? When the earth was out form and it was void, right? And there was darkness over the face, right? And then God said, let there be light. And then there was light out of pitch darkness, right? Now listen, that's how the gospel entered you. It came out of darkness, you see. It wasn't a kindly, like a dim, that's what we'd like to see. It was just a dim room that the light came out of. I was a pretty good person, right? I was better than my neighbor after all, right? Here's the reality is that Jesus didn't die to save good men, right? He died so he could make dead men live, that he would, those who were blinded could now see, right? Darkness to light, it's all or nothing, right? That's what we brought to the table, right? Lightness out of pitch darkness. Paul who writes this knows a little bit of something about light, if you know his conversion story, right? And this may be a little hint towards that, right? If you remember his story, the Christian killer Saul, right? Doing the will of God, killing Christians, right? On his way to Damascus to do some of God's work, he met the Lord Jesus Christ in a blinding light and it knocked him down and he saw Jesus and he saw the gospel. The Holy Spirit opened his mind to those facts and it changed him and it reversed everything in his life. Amen? That's the picture we all should get, right? And I've shared this up here before, but I just can't resist because it's my favorite illustration of Paul's conversion. It's written by an old, dead military pastor. And I loved him because he puts himself in a lot of biblical characters, studies the scripture, and tries to replay it. And this is what he said he thought as the Apostle Paul. It's very long, and I'll, I'll just summarize the first part of it. It's that he looked into Jesus, Paul did, when he was a Christian killer. And he found out that Jesus Christ, this Jesus of Nazareth, was worth zero Nothing. He had nothing. He was just the leader of a cult. Nothing. And then he says this. But on the Damascus road, something happened. There in a blinding flash of a moment, I looked into the face of a man and I saw God. I discovered that he whom I thought to be worth nothing was the Lord of everything, that he was the glory of God, and that everything that is made is upheld by the word of his power, that he is behind all things, and he is the very imprint and image of God. There I found that he whom I thought to be nothing 
was everything, and I, whom I thought to be everything, was nothing. And in that moment, I came to a tremendous reversal of all the values in my life. Later on, I learned that I, who was nothing, could be filled with him who was everything, and that would make my life something. Amen? That's everybody's conversion story. And your conversion story may not be as dramatic as that, but the same exact thing happened, a great reversal of everything, darkness to light. Listen, if you want to be encouraged, you want to not lose heart when you get grinded down by this world, you might want to just contemplate your salvation story because it's beautiful, because someone beautiful came into you and shone a light out of your dark soul, spirit, and body. Amen? Mm. Here's what the gospel does to me when I think about it and just meditate on it. It shrinks everything else. It minimizes my difficulty. And that's what Paul's starting to gear us up for. I mean, we're going to go through some hard times. Life ain't all a bowl of cherries, is it, guys? There's people in here that are really hurting right now. Right? Real stuff. But when you think on the light shining out of darkness of your life, that gospel, that Lord, what happens is things shrink. And you find the strength to carry on. Because the gospel will minimize anything. Amen? That's what it does. When it does that to you, I believe, I know Paul and his buddies did this, and I think this is for us too. They went out and they proclaimed Jesus as Lord. Because that's what he is when you get saved. That's what you're saying when you accept the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, he is my Lord, and he did the saving, and I will hit my knee, and now he can run my life. I accept that. That's what you do. Check it out in verse 5. That's what they did. It says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Man, he's a good pastor, isn't he not? You want to know what I proclaim? Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen? Oh, here's the deal. We're all ministers, right? We all have a little flock at home. We all have workmates. We all sometimes pastor and have ministry with people. We all are. And a good pastor knows <laughs> that it ain't about them. Who are we proclaiming? Jesus as Lord, we should be more like an assistant or a porter that brings people to who? To Jesus, so he can shine his light and might want to just get out the way. I don't like when people get in my light because I can't read anymore without light. It's the same way with when we minister. I think a lot of times we lose heart because we're worried about our ministry. And it's other than proclaiming Jesus as Lord, Amen. We dwell on what we are doing for the Lord, or maybe more to the point, what we're not doing for the Lord, and why isn't things happening? Mm. 
You proclaim Jesus as Lord. The simplicity of the gospel respoken again and again, preferably with your life and your tongue together matching up. Amen. That's what you do. And that's what they did, right? When you do this, when you have that true proclamation on a real conversion, then you have the truth. You don't need gimmicks. You don't need to sell the gospel. You know these people? You don't need to sell the gospel. You don't need to even appeal to people's emotion. You have the truth and the conviction that God saves people, not you. That's what Paul says in verse 2. Check it out. But we renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse the practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. You know, people were doing it back then just like they're doing it now. Right? Underhanded ways, trickery, appealing to your emotions. Paul's like, what? We don't, we don't do that. But he says, this is what we do. By the open statement of the truth. I entitled verse two, the truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Right? We should tell the truth. Right? Isn't that the best thing to do? By the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of the Lord. We have the truth and the conviction that God saves, right? Listen, you can proclaim Jesus is Lord, and sometimes you can't see what's going on. It's a spiritual deal. And don't ever forget, God does the saving. So we stay with the truth of the gospel and the conviction that God's Holy Spirit opens up the mind so that they hear the gospel for once the real gospel. They say the gospel, you only hear it once. This is what what we're meaning, that you can hear it, but we're blinded, aren't we? But in that moment, you have that seed, God's spirit now, one of, God's, one, of, one of the Holy Spirit's ministries, his reproving ministry or his conviction ministry, one thing he does is go about the world opening up people's minds to the gospel so they hear it. Before he does that, no one's getting saved. Did you know that? I don't care how slick you say it. It's not real. God saves people through the Holy Spirit's ministry of opening up our minds to it, you see? I read a long time ago the story of C.S. Lewis' conversion. Has anybody read that? It, I think it was entitled something like, like, like the reluctant convert, something like that. It was like he was kind of a, kind of a really smart guy. <laughs> and if, if you don't know him, he's kind of a big deal. Even before he got saved, he was an intellectual and he rejected the gospel. He heard it, trying to reason through it. But he said on the train ride, he was just haunted. Oh, he couldn't get it out of his mind. And he saw not the logic of it, (laughs) but he saw the beauty of the gospel because God's spirit worked on him on that train. And then he saw it one time, saved. And the world has never been the same since, amen? Colossal. 
That's what the reproving ministry of the Holy Spirit does. We just need to stay with the truth. Not emotions, not any of that, because we know, listen, we all have blinders. We saw it last chapter, the Jews have blinders, right? That's what it says. Right there, when we're talking about the new covenant, the Jews have a blinder on them. Even when we're not spiritual, the natural man, when we're living in our carnality, we have, we're spiritually discerned. We have kind of scales on our eyes too. And ev- evidently, the God of this world, little G, it says here, Satan, he blinds unbelievers too. And the point here isn't that Jesus' light can't penetrate that. It can penetrate that, but it takes the Holy Spirit to do it. And we just need to remember our role. We give the truth, Right? And we have the conviction that God saves. And so we stick with the truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. Amen? So there you go. Light out of the darkness. Out of the darkness of our lives. You want to be encouraged this week? You want to not lose heart, as Paul's saying here? Just give it a whirl. When you're grinding away, we all have these in-between times where we think about things. Think about your conversion story. Think about Paul's conversion story, right? I think, you, I think it'll change your heart, amen? Verse seven, check it out. It's the second thing that we wanna be encouraged by today is that we have the treasure of the very life of Jesus Christ hidden in a very plain container that Paul says are uh, pots, or jars of clay, very plain envelope, right, that this deity resides in. Let's check it out. But we have this treasure in jars of clay so that, or to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not us. Now, that's an amazing statement if you really think about it for a moment, that God would deliberately choose to house his deity in all the supernatural awesomeness that comes with it inside of humanity. I actually expected just a little bit more from you guys. That's not amazing to you? That's amazing to me. You see, because sometimes I think we study too much. We've been in church too long when the fact that deity resides inside your broken body, what? He could do it so many other ways, right? He chooses to house his deity in humanity, and it gives us a chance for glory. Did you know that? It's the only hope that humanity has for glory. Did you know that? It's really the glory of humanity. He says to the believers at Colossae, in chapter 1, verse 27, he says this. He says, the only hope of glory that you have is what? Christ in you. That's all you got. In these broken clay pots. It's the glory of humanity. And I don't know if you caught the reason, but it says... For the purpose, what does it say? For the purpose so people would know that the power belongs to God, not us. Ingenious. So that people don't mistake the pot for the power, right? Or the master from the servant. They know. 
non-Christians should be looking at Christians if we're living our life right and be pretty, pretty baffled. They're looking at us motley crew, right? With all the cracks of our bodies and our abilities, and we continually can do amazing things through Christ, right? They should, they should just be like, what in the world? How can, what? Isn't that our story as humans throughout history? Read your Bible. Read history of Christianity. It's full of a bunch of ordinary people from ordinary places like us, just like you, from places just like where we're from, doing extraordinary things through the power of an extraordinary God. That's the idea, right? That's our story. And it should be our calling card. When we live our lives, people should look at us and go, how does that person do that? And you should say, I'm not doing it. And when you say, I can't, what you're really saying is he will, and he always does, amen? Let's check it out, because he gives us a description of what it looks like. Verse eight, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed, amen? Notice the weakness of the pot. And some of you right now that are weak, this may touch you, afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. That's the weakness of the pot. Check out the strength out of the pot. Did you read it? We are not crushed. We are not driven to despair. We are not forsaken. Neither will we ever be destroyed. Amen? It takes both. That's the brilliant design of it. It takes weakness, ours, to get his strength, right? It takes both. Paul in chapter 12 of the same book, you know the familiar story, Paul asking the Lord to be, I guess, a little less weak. Remember, he had a thorn in his flesh, a physical weakness that he said Satan gave to him to buffet him so he didn't think he was better than he was. And Paul's like, Lord, take, make me less weak, would you? Would you, would you make me less weak? I'm in pain. This is killing me. Take it away. And what does the Lord say to him? And we all know. He says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And this is the part that I want to get at today. My strength is made perfect in what? Your weakness, right? My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So take heart today. Listen, we may be persecuted we may be getting the wrong end of life right now, but it's an opportunity for people to see the power that's in your broken jar right now. 
Amen? It's hard and it's difficult for sure. Not saying it's easy. We all want the strength. None of us want the weakness to admit that there's nothing more than just a little thin patina around that thing that's about ready to go. It's all it's going to take is one more little flick of the world, one more little flick of the enemy, and it's all going to come apart. No one wants to admit that. We hold on to that in our human nature, amen? But if we just get the fact that as hard as it is, it's so beautiful and effective if we just let that patina go. Just let it go. So what? I'm cracked. The amazing and most beautiful thing, when you see people doing this, when you see people living out of a cracked circumstance, admitting they are weak and they don't have what it takes, they're not trying to bootstrap it up. They simply say, I don't got it. What you see is the more and more they let go, the more and more cracks in their jar, if you will, more and more strength comes out. I wonder if we're not powerful because we're putting like duct tape around our patina. Let it go. When people do this, it's amazing. And when you see it, oh man, you can't miss it. It's a quiet, gentle strength. It's velvety powerful. It's beautiful when you see it. And I've noticed over my life that I would say that women are a lot better at this than some of us old stubborn men. And it's not a hard and fast rule, but I notice this. It seems to be a bit easier for them as the weaker vessel. Yeah, I said it. They're not weak in the, the real sense, but their bodies and their persona, most of them let it go a little easier. I've noticed that. We were just in an elder meeting on Tuesday and we were talking about our wives. Yeah, we talk about you guys. And I think it was summarized by Pastor Matt saying this, my wife makes me feel like a pansy, <laughs> right? And I chuckled in agreement because they have a sneaky power about them, don't they? And we all do when we let it go. We used to have this little thing in our house when we were raising two rambunctious kids, boys. My wife Stephanie and I would, were raising two boys and they were all boy and they were very physical and wanted to know who was the toughest all the time, right? Who was the strongest all the time? They're always running around trying to challenge dad and picking up mom and see who's the strongest and as they were growing up, right? And I can't tell you how many times I drove home from work and I'm around in my driveway, I'm just praying that my wife isn't tied up hanging from a ceiling fan or something. That's not a joke. I mean, I, I literally thought, man, I wonder if they threw off the balcony today. You know, they were rambunctious and they were always testing their strength and they wanted to know, dad, who's the strongest in here? Oh, you're the strongest, I'm the strongest. And they always wanted to know, right? And so as a young dad, I said this, because you gotta paint a picture for kids sometimes. You only can tell them certain things. I said, hey, listen, let's put it this way. If we all got lost in the woods and all we had was our bare hands, that's all we had, here's the order of death. Mom's gonna die first. Look at her. She's small. 
And that's saying something in my house that she's small, right? Because we're all small. And then I said, if you know Ryan, Ryan's going next. Yep. And then Gabe and I are going to fight it out for the champion of the survival game. That's how, that was my order. And they love that story. I'll tell you, being married to my wife for as long as I have, I've come to a great reversal in that ranking. I'm pretty sure my wife would be the lone man standing because I've seen a beautiful strength out of her and she's been through some things that were very difficult. Things that I hope I never go through and things that I probably will go through down the road when I'm ready for them. But the way she held herself in Jesus Christ, she radiated a strength that was beautiful. She let her pot crack and let a lot of power come out. And she stood there and she's about as gritty as anybody. And she makes me feel like a pansy too, Matt. (laughs) Amen? We call it mouse power in our house because that's her nickname. It's called mouse power. People who do that, I don't know if you know, but they model the gospel. That's what they do. Check it out in verse 10. They model the gospel by dying, suffering, but also letting someone else raise them and have victory even through that death. Check it out. 10, always carrying around the body of the death of Jesus Christ so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Amen? What's the gospel message? It has to do with the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? And all Paul is saying here is people who let power come out of their weakness are manifesting out of their suffering, out of their, right, their death. When you let Jesus resurrect you and have victory, even in that suffering, they're modeling the gospel, right? You're modeling the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 says it this way that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. (laughs) Listen, resurrection and death will always be linked, right? They have to be. And so that's what Paul's saying, is that you can suffer, but you can also Model the gospel by letting Jesus Christ give you strength to take another step and show power out of your life through his awesomeness. Amen? That's all he's saying. So here's, a, here's an opportunity. In this second encouragement, we all go through stuff. We all go through real stuff. Even this day, we may feel like we want to die. That was my favorite verse in chapter one. Did you catch it? I feel like I had a death sentence, Paul said. He really suffered, like some of you. These aren't things that we think about. They're things that we live. They're things that we experience. They're real pain. I'm not glossing over that. And neither is Paul. 
But there's a real opportunity here in the middle of it all. When we let God get us to the point where we have victory and strength, even in our suffering, is where I think God is most glorified in our bodies. I think John Piper coined the phrase Christian hedonism, right? And he just says that um, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him in your day of trouble. That's interesting. That's what Paul's saying. You want to glorify God? Might be a way to do it. Be satisfied in him and in his power in your day of trouble. The last encouragement here starts in verse 13 to the end of the chapter here. And it's basically that we can be renewed in our spirits if we take the faith that God gives us. Let's check it out. It's in verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of, anybody there? Faith. According to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus Christ will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Hallelujah. Remember faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. I like when a verse says this, faith is. Okay, so now you have your definition, right? You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You just read. Do you remember what it says it is? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things you cannot see. That's faith. It's what gives the things that you're hoping for, that you can't see out there in this thing tomorrow. It's those things, those promises that God has given you. Those things that he will deliver you, that you have been made the righteousness of of God in Christ Jesus. Those kind of things. It's what makes those things real. It makes it reality. Faith, Faith unlocks the reality of God himself and what you have in Jesus Christ. You need faith. And he said, we have this same faith right? As it was written, I believed and I spoke. He's alluding to a psalm, Psalm 116, where the psalms is saying exactly the same thing. I have faith that I will be delivered, right? And so now I'm going to speak. Oh, and isn't that a novel concept? (laughs) Before you speak, you might want to believe in what you're saying. You ever listen to kids? You don't believe what you're saying right now. You, not even you believe that. You ever listen to politicians? I doubt you believe that. If you do, you'd be doing it in your own backyard, right? <laughs> right? He believed so that he had the conviction to speak the truth. He believed what he was saying. He believed that I know, I know he's going to raise us up. I know he's going to deliver us. That's what he's saying. Paul knew it. He goes on in verse 15 to give us, it's a beautiful verse. Let me read it. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. (laughs) Paul's an amazing pastor, amazing minister, 
Like I said, we're all ministers. What's our motive? Did you catch his? For it is all for your sake. He's a serving. He's serving. He's not acting like he's not acting like he's serving. He really believes that he is a servant. He's doing it all for them. Right? Proper motivation, proper heart, right? He's not worried about his legacy. He's not worried about his church numbers. He's not worried if our kids represent or employees represent. He's not worried about any of that stuff. He's doing it for them. What a great motive. What a great motive. He did all things for their sake. I wonder if we attacked our ministry like that, how effective we'd be. Amen? We, like Paul, when we minister, can lose ourselves in costly service. It costs you something when you serve the Lord. I think it's going to cost you more if you don't, but it costs something. Talk to any minister. That's not easy. The counseling, right? The preparation, the modeling. It can be a lonely place, and you can lose yourself in that service. But if you're doing that for the right motive so that others can come up and live and grab Jesus Christ, you get out of the light, and it's, that's what it's all about, is serving other people. Like my mentor told me, because I'm in the healthcare business, he said, don't ever forget to keep care in healthcare. <laughs> right? Yeah. You'd be surprised. Right? That's what he's talking about. Finally, a great verse. 16. So we do not lose heart. There's our other bookend, right? That's our bookend. So we end as we start. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are seen, not to those things, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Right? I don't know if you caught the faith part, but there's the faith part. As we look not unto the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. You can't use your eyes. You can't. You got to use your spiritual eyes, your faith, right? Because seeing isn't believing. Believing seeing, right? That's what he's saying. He says, when you do that, you'll have a different perspective. Actually, <laughs> you'll be able to look at it and say, my body's taking a beating. My emotions are taking a beating. My outer nature, my outer man is wasting away. And if you're older, like us, me, you'll understand that you are wasting away. But our inner nature is being renewed day by day. So as we get beat down on the anvil of life, right, something's forming inside of us that's growing and getting bigger and bigger and greater and greater. Our spirit is getting recharged and moving. That's what I think the inner man is. It's a whole different study, but that's your spirit. That's where the Holy Spirit, God, came into you and regenerated you to have the capacity to have a relationship with him. 
It's regeneration. It's Christ in you, right? In that spot of you, when he regenerated you, you can live the spiritual life. And sometimes you need to be encouraged. And he says, you are renewed day by day when you go through affliction and you rely on the Lord. There's a great verse in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, that just basically says that. The Holy Spirit can recharge you and encourage you. And that's how he does it. It's faith that unlocks the spiritual things. It's, It's like Paul setting up a scale. Affliction over here and glory over here, right? And if you look at it with your regular eyes, man, it's a clunker. All the stuff you're going through just goes, bam, it's way heavier. Because who wouldn't think cancer, right? Who wouldn't think divorce? Who wouldn't think addiction? Who wouldn't think all the crud that we go through just doesn't, bang, right? Not even close. The, this is heavy, and I got no glory. That's how we see things with our natural eyes. What are you saying? Here's another scale. And if you look at it with your faith, with your spiritual eyes, what you'll see is the, what it's building up in your, inside of you. You see that in the afflictions. Glory just pounds it down. Bang! I'm a wrestler. and We made weight. We used to have the old scales. You know the scales where the, you know, slide the little weight and it, the metal hits the metal when you're off, right? When you're not balanced. When you got on there and it went, when someone could hear it, like from across the room, you're like, oh, I'm way over, right? This isn't balancing. That's what happens. That's what he's saying. When you use your spiritual eyes, your perspectives change and they become light afflictions, right? They come thing, something that is an opportunity for the power to come out of your pot, amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word. I pray that your spirit would make application where it needs to make application. I pray that we would not lose heart this week, that we would look to you. We look to you to strengthen us. Be the strength of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, guys.